Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have more mercy than we have sin. Simple way to state it, but a huge truth. We may be wrong, but you are more right than we can be wrong. We may not be very loving, but you are more loving than we are. And Father, we praise you for that. And so today, we want to grow strong in believing in who you are. And even beyond that, Father, we want to go strong in believing in who we are in light of who you are. That we are your people, your children, forgiven of our sins, loved by you. Oh Lord, strengthen us in that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. We have been in Jonah now for several weeks, and I'm glad to conclude it today. We're going to look at this idea of repentance. We've already covered the first four chapters. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there, page 851 in the Black Pew Bible, page 851. And 51. We've already covered all of the story of Jonah, and you know it very well, but today we're going to look at this idea of repentance. The big, huge thing that happens in the story of Jonah is that the Ninevites repent. And if you're not careful and you're just studying the story of Jonah, you will remember Jonah. You'll remember the big fish. You'll remember uh, him being there inside the fish and being spit back out on dry land. You'll remember how it ends in that sad, weird ending of him hiding under a plant and God taking the plant and, and Jonah's bitterness. But you'll miss the big, awesome part that the Ninevites repented. And so the book of Jonah has in it a huge teaching point about repentance. And so today, this entire sermon is going to be on repentance. It's one that we need. It's one that we all need. And it's a good one for us. There is no believing in Jesus without repenting of sin. Sometimes we may represent that poorly. Sometimes the church may not do a good job of that. Sometimes true faith may be watered down and therefore miss the point. But hear me. There is no believing in Jesus where there is not repentance of sin. Repentance is found throughout the Bible. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, uh, repentance is talked about. There are so many really good, big, strong passages that come out with repentance. When John the Baptist comes on the scene and in the beginning of the Gospels and he is paving the way before Jesus, John the Baptist is preaching, and you know what he's, re- what he's preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of hand is near, for the kingdom of God is near. He's preaching repent. Right after John the Baptist, Jesus comes preaching. And you know what he preaches in the beginning of the Gospels? Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. They were preaching repent. In the, new, in, in, in the book of Acts, when Peter started preaching, his sermon begins with repent. Repentance is a turning to God. R.C. Sproul says repentance means changing one's mind So that one's views, one's values, one's goals, one's ways are changed. One's whole life is lived differently. 
Mind and judgment, will and affections, behavior and lifestyle, motives and plans, all are involved in repentance. Repenting, he says, means starting to live a new life, a life for God. Repentance is when you turn away from whatever you're living for. Now, if you've got some big obvious sins that are easy to determine, then it is turning away from those. If you've got some inward struggle sinfulness that are harder to identify, it is turning from those. If it is living the good life without submission and faith in God, it is turning away from that and turning to God. But repentance is a turning to God away from whatever you're living for. This happens to the people of Nineveh in the book of Jonah. Thomas Watson, that great former pastor, gives us six ingredients of genuine repentance. Six ingredients of genuine repentance. Take these down. Number one, sight of sin. You can see that what you're doing is wrong. Sight of sin. Number two, sorrow over sin. Sorrow over sin. It bothers you. Number three, confession of sin. He says, sorrow, listen to this, is such a vehement passion that it must vent. This is a neat thought. That sorrow is such a strong passion that it must vent. He says, it vents itself at the eyes by weeping and at the tongue by confession. So when you see your sin and you're bothered by your sin, you must confess your sin. You must say, I don't like this about me. I know that this is wrong. Number four, shame of sin. He says, may there be in our communities of faith, please listen, may there be in our communities of faith, our churches, more blushing and less boasting when it comes to sin. If you love to be foul-mouthed and talk like everybody else who has no reverence for the Lord Jesus, you shouldn't say that's a good thing. You should be blushing over that. If you're wrapped up in this or wrapped up in that, you shouldn't make excuses for it. You should be blushing over it. There should be a shame about our sin. Number five, hatred of sin. He says, Christ is never loved Till sin is loathed. Christ is never loved till sin is loathed. And then lastly, number six, turning from sin. If there is a sight of sin, a sorrow of sin, a confession of sin, a shame of sin, a hatred of sin, then the last step is to say, I want to turn from that. Oh, God, help me to stop that. Sight of sin, sorrow over sin, confession of sin, shame of sin, hatred of sin, turning from sin. When those things or feelings or awarenesses are there for our sin, then there will be genuine repentance. And Jonah is a story of genuine repentance, an awesome one at that. God's man, his minor prophet Jonah, didn't want the Ninevites to repent. That's why chapter 1 has him fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That's why chapter 2 has him in the belly of the big fish. That's why in chapter 3 he gets a second chance. 
He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to come to know God, and that's a problem in and of itself. But nevertheless, once he finally does go and preach to them, they do repent. God has mercy on them. God forgives them of their sins, and they are happy. They are restored to a relationship with God. It is wonderful. I was thinking, one of my fav- I-, I like to eat. I like to eat. I like to eat a lot. And one of my favorite things to eat is Mexican food. I'm always down for chips and salsa and chips and queso and all types of Mexican food. And one of the things I really like with Mexican food is cilantro. I know that a lot of you all don't like cilantro, but I like cilantro, okay? I like it. And every once in a while, I get so into my food that I don't realize that it's all over me. And I remember one time, Val and I had been out to eat, and then we had gone, done a couple other things, been running a couple errands, and it had been at least an hour since we had been at the Mexican restaurant. And we were driving in the car, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I had a piece of cilantro covering like an entire tooth. And I thought to myself, I didn't just eat this. This thing's been on here since lunchtime. I said to Val, were you not going to tell me? But you know what happens once you finally notice that that's there, right? I was looking for a toothpick. I was trying to use a a business card to dig that thing out of there to try to clean. I could not keep going with this cilantro in my teeth. I had to deal with it. And so it is once you finally get to see your sins in light of God. Hey, I could have gone all day. I did actually go half the day with this ugly thing in my life. But I wasn't aware that it was so ugly. When you are living in sin, you may not recognize. You may say, everybody else does it. Some do it worse than I do. It's not the only bad thing about me. And you may not do much about it. You may not see it. But when you see God and recognize your sinfulness in light of God, then everything changes. And regardless of what everybody else is doing, you are now trying to figure out, how do I get rid of this sin? How do I change? How do I get to living in a way that is worship to God? That happens in the life of humans. It truly does. If you don't know anybody who is living in a repentant lifestyle, if you don't know anybody who has truly turned from your sins, then I am sorry, and I want you to see that God really does do that. I hope and pray, and I pray more and more and more for it, that right here in this small community of South Louisville and Fairdale, that God is raising up a church here, a growing church of people who are repentant of our sins, that we never are modeling or speaking or boasting, that we are better than anybody. We would never even think that, but we are so captured by a great God that forgives us of our sins, and all we can think about is not everybody else's sin in their lives, but like the cilantro in my teeth. All I'm worried about at that moment is getting my sins dealt with, getting that cilantro removed. And so what we are as believers are people who are convicted of our sins, but we know that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who God raised from the dead, who is alive and does forgive. He does forgive sins. And so what we are are a people, a collective group, a church who are turning our lives away from sin and toward God saying, oh God, help us and forgive us of our sins. 
This happened in Nineveh. I think it's happening in Fairdale, and I'm praying it continues to happen to us. So turn, to me to, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, and right here from the scriptures, in the case of Nineveh, from the preaching of Jonah, I want to give you five marks or five characteristics of what the repentant do, what they look like. Five characteristics of the repentant people. All right? Let's start at chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let, <clears throat> let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's the story. We've studied it now for about six weeks. Let me draw out the five characteristics of these people in Nineveh. Now let me remind you, they did not know much about God. Let me remind you that they were not the people of Israel, okay? They were, if you will, a, a pagan place. This is the big, huge city in Assyria. They had nothing to do with God. They were enemies of the people of God. That's part of why Jonah didn't want to go there. There's that whole you know, racism, judgmental thing where he just didn't want to deal with those types of people, which is sin in and of itself, right? And so that's who they are. And yet God has mercy on whoever he has mercy. God loves to save people and change lives. God, according to the book of Romans, in his kindness, gives repentance. The Bible says that when somebody is repenting, it's because God is being kind to them, and God has granted them repentance. So as we study here at the Ninevites, let's see these five characteristics. Number one, the repentant person believes God. Let's don't miss that. Verse 4, Jonah cries out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And verse 5 says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, I hit on it already a couple weeks ago when I pointed out that they believed Jonah and therefore believed God. Oh, the significance of true, faithful Bible preaching and teaching that when you tell somebody what God says, not only can they believe you, but they can believe God. Oh, the miracle that there is in being faithful to the Word of God that people can believe God. It's amazing. 
Jonah talks and they believe God. It doesn't say anything about they believe Jonah. We don't really care too much about the messenger, right? We don't join churches because of preachers. We join churches because of their commitment to the faithful and true word of God. We want to be biblical. We want to know God. And so the same thing happens here. They believed God. Imagine. Repentant people believe God. If you would go and study repentance in the Bible you would quickly see, and this is important, I've taught this a lot, that repentance and faith are like two sides of the same coin. If you have a quarter, you've got, uh, what, George Washington on the front side of it, I think, and you've got uh, an eagle or the newer quarters have a state on the back side, right? You know it's a quarter by the color, by the size, by the shape, it's a quarter, but it looks totally different. The face on the head side is a person, and the the image on the tail side is something totally different. They don't even look anything alike, but they are the same thing. They're both a quarter. You can identify a 25-cent piece in the United States of America on either side. You see George Washington, and it's right size, right color, that's a quarter. You see an eagle or a state, you say, that's a quarter. And somebody says, wait a second. Is it George Washington or is it the state of Kentucky on there? And you're like, well, either one, it's a quarter. So it is with faith and repentance. Somebody who is trusting in Jesus Christ as the only hope, only comfort, only thing that can forgive them of their sins is a picture of a believer. Somebody who is turning away from sin, they're convicted by their sins, they hate their sins, they don't want to sin anymore, they're trying to stop sinning. That is a true believer, but the two must go together. Faith alone without repentance isn't the real thing. For instance, if you saw a quarter with George Washington and you picked it up and said, wow, I found a quarter, and you picked it up on the back and said, ha, joke's on you, then you think, wait, they don't make quarters like that. If one side looks like a quarter but the other side's clearly not a quarter, it's not a quarter. And so it is for somebody who says they believe but's not affected by their sins or bothered by their sins or convicted of their sins. That's not truly uh, trusting in Jesus. Or so it is for the person who's so bothered by their sins. And they think, I'm just trying to be a better me. I'm just trying to stop doing this. I'm just trying to stop doing bad and start doing good. I'm trying to be the best person I can be and do well for my life. But there's no commitment to Christ there. Same thing. You must have both together. It is two sides of the same coin. When they believed, they were repenting. When they were repenting, they were believing. You could say it either way. Is this a passage about believing or is this a passage about repentance? Both. Trick question. Both. And so it is, listen to me, when somebody truly believes, you know they're taking their sins seriously. When somebody truly starts taking their sins seriously, you know they're believing. When somebody's believing, their sins bother them, they're convicted. When somebody's convicted of their sins and it bothers them to repenting, then you know that they're believing. And this is the point that we need to see in Jonah that will shape everything else. You don't need to turn there, but take this note. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that very much so knows about the struggle of sin. There was all types of sin in the Corinthian church. Crazy stuff, wild stuff. There was stuff going on in that church, and he was there faithfully talking to them about how God didn't approve of it. It was wrong. He would forgive them. They need to trust in Christ. There needs to be repentance. But he picks this up because there are so many people who do not understand repentance, and they don't really repent. So listen to this. I'm going to read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. As it is, I rejoice. 
Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. He's happy that their sins grieved them because it led to repentance. Which means they're taking God and sin seriously. Listen to this. For you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. But listen to this. Whereas worldly grief produces death. That's heavy, is it not? There is a guilt and shame of our imperfections. There is a bothersome to our sins that doesn't embrace Jesus' love and forgiveness that will only beat you down and hurt you more. The wages of sin is death. And until we find the love of God in the work of Christ on the cross, we don't know how to look up. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. There is a grief over sin that he describes as a worldly grief that leaves you worse off. And every one of us know people living with a worldly grief. But God says there is a godly grief that bothers us, and that's a good thing. It bothers us so much that we've sinned against God that we turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. And that, he says, leads to salvation. And so we rejoice. When we are repentant of our sins, we are believing in God. When, Jesus, when John the Baptist first began baptizing in Matthew chapter 3, all these people started to come saying, hey, I want to be baptized. You know what the message is in Matthew chapter 3? You brood of vipers, you snakes, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3, 8. We often talk about bearing fruit from our faith. He's saying bear fruit from your repentance. What's the difference? There's not. To believe is to, to truly believe is to turn from your sins and repent. To truly repent and turn from your sins is to believe. And this is the point. Matthew Henry picks this up. Listen to it. They believed God. They gave credit to the word which Jonah spoke to them in the name of God. They believed that though they had many that they called gods, yet there was but one living and true God, the sovereign Lord of all, that to him they were accountable. They believed now that they were accountable to God even in their sins, and that mattered to them. They believed that they had sinned against him and had become obnoxious to God's justice. That this notice sent them of ruin approaching, it came from him. And consequently, that the ruin itself would come from him at a time prefixed if it were not prevented by a timely repentance. That he is a merciful God and there might be some hopes of the turning away of the wrath threatened. If they did turn away from the sins from which it was threatened. Note, he says, those that come to God, that come back to him after they have revolted from him, must believe, they must believe that he is and that he is reconcilable and that he will be theirs if they take the right course, the course of repentance. 
God tells us that he loves us so much that if you will repent of your sins, you can have God. God will have you. And it doesn't matter how much sin you've got. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You cannot be bad enough to repent, to not repent. God is there for all who turn to him believing. Number one, the repentant person believes in God. Number two, the repentant person hates their sin. Look back here to this passage. In verse five it says, the people of Nineveh believed God. Okay, they believe and they're repenting. So what did they do? What did that look like? Well, it looked like they hated what they were doing, so they totally wanted to change things. They hated it. It says, They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6 now describes the king's repentance. He got off of his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. He hated that they were not living for God. They hated that their lives were not centered on God. They had been made aware that God opposed them in their pride. They had been made aware that God would judge them if they were not right with God, and they hated that notion. They wanted that to change. They didn't want to stay that way. It bothered them. One would imagine that a king would never admit his flaws, right? One would imagine that a king would never drop his pride and humble himself, except when the Lord of all creation grants repentance, except when you know that with God there is forgiveness, except when you come to fully realize that God loves you and he calls you to repent so that you would rest and embrace his love. They hated it. Because to hate your sin is the step toward loving God. If you want to love God, you have to hate your sins. If you're trying to hold your sins and hold on to God at the same time, you are frustrated, and I know that you are. But if you will let go of the sin and turn your back on it and say, God, help me, as you run to Christ, God will help you. God will receive you. But the repentant person must hate their sins. As we see, they did. The Ninevites did. Number three, the repentant person calls out mightily to God. I love that it says this. He issued a decree that they were going to fast, they weren't going to eat. Even the animals were included in this. This is pretty common in the scriptures. You hear about the whole community being affected by their guilt of sin. And so even the animals now are going to embrace this. It's like a totality of expressing that our sins are bothering us. So he issues a decree that everybody is now going to fast. They're going to be in sackcloth. But look what it says there at verse 8. And let them call out mightily to God. This is what faith does. This is what belief does. This is what hatred for your sin does. Calls out to God. In John chapter 6, it says that Jesus has a bunch of followers. A ton of people are following Jesus. But Jesus keeps preaching these hard messages, and it says that many of them turned away. 
Jesus turns to the disciples that are still there and says, do you all want to leave too? John 6, 6, 6, John 6, 66. Jesus says to them, do you all want to leave too and stop following me? And one of the disciples answers and says, Lord, where would we go? What answer is there for this sinful life? What solution is there to the troubled life that I live? What answer is there to remove my guilt and shame, to offer forgiveness? And Jonah, the book of Jonah tells us that the king of Nineveh understands this, the Ninevites understand this, and the king says we should call out mightily to God. Mightily tells us that this was deep inside of them. This is not something they were trying to do as they multitask. They weren't repenting over here to God as they were tied up in their phone. They were all out surrendered and bothered in hating their sin and believing in God and the only thing they were concerned about is will God Almighty the one that made me will he accept me will he restore me will he forgive me and the answer is yes but when you know that you feel that you get that and the only way to describe it is mightily I am crying out to him I am searching for him I am desperate of him I need him just read to the kids just the other night we're reading through the I don't know which Bible it is that we're reading through them now in these kids' Bibles, but we've gotten to like uh, Eli and Samuel and Hannah. And it tells the story that Hannah's barren and couldn't have a child and, and somebody's making fun of her. I can't even remember the story right now. Her sister maybe is making fun of Hannah because she can't have kids. She's barren and they're making fun of her. Really sad. And so the Bible says that Hannah went and cried out to God. Oh, God, if you would give me one child, if you would give me one child, God, I will make sure he grows up to know you and love you every day of his life. I will point him to you. I will give him to you. He will be for you. And the priest comes up and thinks she's crazy. The priest comes up and says, what's wrong with her? He says she's drunk. He tells her to get away from the temple and praying and the religious thing because she's drunk. He says, get out of here. And she says, sir, I'm not drunk. I am crying out mightily to God. I need God. And this is the description that we have of the people of Nineveh, the pagan, godless people that had nothing to do with God at all except for God is now having mercy on them and their desire is to repent. So what do they do? They believe. What do they do? They get up and start hating their sins. And what do they do? They cried out to God. And so many of us think that we are believing in God, but we never cry out to him. And what we must see from the people of Nineveh, that one of the ways that we know that they were truly experiencing the grace and work of God in their lives is that they were desperately crying out. And that's got to be us. If we believe in him, we must be calling out to him mightily. If we're repenting of our sins, we must be calling out to him mightily. Jesus' best teaching on justification by faith alone is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee comes and prays to God and starts bragging in his prayer. And he does it in front of everybody. And it's like this. And he's thanking God for all this awesome stuff about him and it's it's not a horrible prayer but it's not the most surrendered prayer and then Jesus says there was a tax collector that comes and this is in the gospels and he comes and it says he couldn't look up he couldn't stand there he couldn't lift his hands it says he stood over here and he was beating his chest and he said oh God have mercy on me a sinner and that's all he prayed that's all he prayed. And Jesus says, which of those two do you think went home that day right with God? Jesus says that. Which of those two, dear God, I thank you so much for all the blessings in my life. I got money. I give my money. I do this. I'm better than the bad people that live on that side of town. God, I just thank you for all of your goodness in my life. I love you. Amen. 
And then there's a guy over here, broken down, can't lift up his head. Oh, God, forgive me of my sins. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, one of those went home saved. One of those went home right with God. You know which one it was? That one. Because he called out mightily to God. Because he was believing. Because he hated his sins. Because he needed God. The repentant person calls out mightily to God. Number four. The repentant person turns from his evil way. There is no other way to say it. Look back to verse 8. Let them call out mightily to God. And there's another sentence there. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. I know that the world would wish that you could embrace God and his love and his salvation and the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross without turning from your evil way, but it is not possible. You cannot hold on to both. You cannot want evil and want God. You cannot hate and love at the same time. You must turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. And the king of Nineveh knew this. He had heard one sermon in his life, one sermon, and it was only about that long, 40 days, and God's going to destroy you all. And now he knows we better turn from our evil. We better stop sinning. This ain't right. This ain't good. This ain't helping us. Here's our problem. And I know, listen to me. I know a lot of us are always asking, man, I don't know what to do. And I know we've all got people in our lives who are saying, I don't know what to do. I had a college student this week send me a text that said, Hey, you ever feel like you're not living right? And what would you do about it? You know what the Bible says you do about it? Turn from living wrong and turn to Jesus. That's what repentance is. The king of Nineveh knows that. He told his entire big, powerful city, call out to God mightily and turn from your evil ways. Whatever the sin is, and we're all guilty of sin. See, here's the thing. The Bible's got some lists of sins, but there's so many sins. Some of us are self-centered. Some of us are selfish. Some of us are lazy. Some of us are liars. Some of us can't stop talking about ourselves. Some of us are slaves to fashion. The one thing you don't need is more clothes, and the one thing you're going to keep spending money on is more clothes. Some of us, our belly is our God. Some of us are addicted to sexual things. Some of us are addicted to other things. Right? There are on and on sins in our lives. Some of us love to gossip. Some of us can't keep a secret for nothing. As soon as we hear something bad about somebody else, it's going to be spread to somebody else. And we could go on and on. Some of us, most of us, we're guilty of all of those things. Nobody's exempt, y'all. We all sin. And what God tells us is that in his kindness, he will accept us if we turn away from all of that and turn to him. We won't necessarily be done sinning. We'll still have some sin in our lives. Struggles will still pop up occasionally. But now God is what our focus is. We call out to him mightily. And when we do sin, we keep saying, oh, God, forgive me of that one. God, I did it again. I'm trusting in Christ. His death on the cross was for it. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But the one thing we don't want to do is turn back to this way and turn our back on him. 
turn from our evil. And the true difference, now, we know that Christianity in 2018 is a muddy, muddy mess. We got people all over the board claiming Jesus, claiming this, believing that, believing that, all over the place. Thankfully, we're not necessarily the judge. God is. God knows. And it may be hard for us to discern who's truly believing, and it may be hard for us to tell who's truly repentant, right? But I want you to know that in God's eyes, as he looks from heaven, it is crystal clear. I mean, it is HD, 1080p, whatever they call the best vision there is now. He sees your heart. He knows whether you're serious about him or whether you're not. He knows whether you're trying to straddle that fence of in the world or of the world or live for God or live for your sins. He knows. We may not be able to tell, but God knows. But you know what is one of the clearest signs? Turn from your evil way. If you like to fight, stop fighting. If you like to cuss, stop cussing. If you like to run people down and talk bad about everybody, stop it. If you like to get drunk, stop it. If you like to do drugs, stop it. If you like to cheat on your wife, stop it. If you like to look at porn, stop it. If you like to be mean to your kids, stop it. If you like to be lazy, stop it. If you like to live your life your way without anybody else telling you what to do, you don't listen to anybody, you do it your way and your way only, stop it. Look to Jesus. Change. Say, I know it's going to be hard, but I want to live for him. That's what it means to repent. The king of Nineveh says, everyone turn from his evil way. Embrace the good life by the grace of God. The repentant person believes God. The repentant person hates their sin. The repentant person calls out mightily to God. Number four, the repentant person turns from his evil. And then number five, the repentant person hopes relies and trusts in God. Look at verse nine. This is awesome that Nineveh gets this. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I don't really know what God's gonna do with me, but I'm gonna leave it in his hands. I don't really know what God's plan for me is, but I'm going to leave it in his hands. I don't really know what God wants to do with Nineveh or the king. I don't know what God wants to do with our big city of Nineveh, but it's in his hands, and may he take care of us. This is his conclusion. I want you to see the power of God in this because all of this happens in one single moment from the preaching of Jonah. What we learn from this is that the power is not in the preaching and the power is not in the messenger. The power is in the God who has power through the Holy Spirit through the truth. When God's man, even the crazy, rebellious, running, fleeing Jonah, spoke what God told him to spoke, God then uses it to Nineveh and the king and a whole world of repentance takes off. Y'all, Nineveh is an amazing story of repentance revival in the history of the world where a people far from God came to God very quickly. Well, what happened? They believed and they repented just like that, just like that, and they were back focused on God. And so it can be for you. Have you repented? Do you trust, rely, and hope fully on God? 
Are you looking to identify everything in your life that's not honoring to him, it's not pleasing to him, there are things that he doesn't like, there are things that you don't like about yourself? Have you been honest enough to say, I'm going to turn to God? That is repenting. To be a church, we are to be a group of people that know we're all repenting. So when you come to me and you say, man, I'm, I'm just a liar, or man, I love my alcohol, or whatever, I'm not going to be, are you serious, man? What are you doing here? I'm going to be, I hear you. I'm in the same boat. God will forgive us. Turn to him. Keep trusting. That's a church. A church is not a group of people who are ashamed of our sins and therefore we're trying to hide them from everybody. We're a group of people who the only thing we've got in common is Jesus who forgives sins so we can't admit our sins and together we help each other keep trusting in Christ. That's the beauty of a real church when we love each other knowing that we're sinners. I'm not trying to convince y'all that I'm so good that you should hang out with me. I'm trying to get y'all to see that we are all sinners and we should keep embracing each other because Jesus saves. Jesus forgives. It's all about Jesus. And the king of Nineveh just stands up and says, we're all sinful. And here's what we need to do. We all need to turn away from our sins, turn away from our evil, believe in God, and let's see what he does with us. Let's be honest about it all and confess our sins, turn from our sins, and see what he does with us. That's repentance. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul finds himself in the Areopagus in Athens, and he's having this big conversation with these people that didn't believe in God, but they loved to study they love to study. They were into philosophy and all of that. He's having a conversation with them, and he kind of gets them thinking about this idea that God is there, and he even points out to them, I can tell you consider God. You've got some gods in your life. And he says in Acts chapter 17, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent. Because here's the truth. I don't know what you're living for. We don't know what people are living for. But we ought to be living for God. He loves us. He made us. He'll be a good father to us. And so would you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. The true Christian lives in continual repentance. You don't stop sinning completely, so you're constantly asking God for forgiveness. You don't stop needing Jesus, so you're constantly renewing your faith in Jesus. Let's go back to what Watson said. Sight of sin, sorrow over sin, confession of sin, Shame of sin, hatred of sin, turning from sin. The repentant person believes God, hates their sin, calls out mightily to God, turns from his evil way. The repentant person hopes, relies, trusts in God. May Fairdale and Louisville and your household and our friends and family and community get from us who claim to be Christians 
an honest dose of repentance. We don't have it all figured out. We are not perfect. We are a work in progress. And may that be visible to them, not in how good we are, but how honest we are about how bad we are. With how we deal with the sins in our lives. None of us are exempt from this. We all sin. May we be repenting. And may repentance be the fruit that we are believing in Jesus. If you're here today and you need to turn to Jesus, do it. Commit yourself to Christ today. As we close and sing this final song, may God in his grace and kindness cause us to repent. It's a busy day. We're going to have a good afternoon. Lunch awaits. Parties await. Football awaits. But we need to be a repenting people. May you hear in these final minutes, bow your head, bow your heart, identify where you're wrong, and seek the Lord. Turn to him. You may not need to come tell me about it and go public with it. If you've never gone public with it, I encourage you to do it today. Men, women, kids, guests, long-time attenders, whoever, let's repent and turn to Jesus. Father in heaven.